When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today on Barca Talk, Munir is out, Neymar keeps calling, and Ter Stegen is named to UEFA Fans Team of the Year. We finally announced the Barca Talk Awards for the year. Barca B is begging the question as to what their purpose is for the club, and there's shocking news from the women's team. Also, the first team lost to Levante in the Copa del Rey and defeated Ibar in La Liga. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson, coming to you from snowy Buffalo, New York, and joining me from Madrid, Spain, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother, what is going on? How are we doing this weekend? We're doing very well this weekend. Uh, you know, I gotta tell you, things have been things have been happening uh, as far as getting ready for the uh, the wedding and the trip to San Francisco. That's in one week. Uh, we're going there next weekend, and Megan is actually leaving on this Tuesday to do a bunch of stuff in town ahead of it. And then I'm leaving on Friday. I'll meet up with her for the weekend. And uh, we're just, we're getting all of our things squared away. I spent my Friday afternoon uh, transcribing Bach music because we got a string trio to uh, play during the procession. And, you know, we're both musicians, so we're really picky about the music that that they play. Uh, so I decided she wants to walk down the aisle to that Death Cab for Cutie song, I will follow you into the dark. You know that one? I do. I do. Yeah. So she's going to walk down the aisle to that. But prior to that, and, you know, when everyone else is walking down the procession, we hadn't decided on music for that. And we hadn't decided on the exit, you know, once we're done and we're walking back, we hadn't decided on what to do for that. And of course, we don't want to do any of the standard wedding march music. We don't want to do the... uh, here comes the bride thing, mm-hmm. which uh, for anyone who's curious is actually it's actually wedding music from an opera by uh, Richard Wagner called Lohengrin. Just uh, so you know, and then the uh, the standard exit music is I forget exactly what it is, but I know it's by Mendelssohn. And I was like, no, I want Bach, I want Bach all over the place because he's my man. He's he's the guy. Nice. So I was I was sort of uh, taking some of his uh, keyboard music and transcribing it for string trio. Last night we sent it out to the players, and so hopefully they'll uh, they'll be on top of that. That's exciting. Everything is pretty much squared away, so I'm very pleased with uh, nice. Yeah, very pleased. And mostly, I have to say, like she doesn't listen to the show, but I have to give a shout out to my wife Megan for doing most of the planning. All I did was I lined up the DJ. I'm in charge of table assignments, and I did that music thing. And I think that's pretty much all I did. 
That's good. Good job. So, good, you know, it's good a, job to Megan. Yeah. Well, yes. The good job to Megan for planning, but also, you know, just execute your chores, your tasks. Yes. You know, I did my thing. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? What's going on in Madrid? Uh, not. I'm doing all right. You know, the weather, like we talked about on the Thursday show, is is we're having a polar uh, weather here, as they call it here. It is cold. It is you know about zero minus three degrees Celsius. So it is pretty pretty chilly. But other than that, I'm just relaxing this weekend. I'm, I'm going to be watching, um, after we record, I'm going to be watching the Manchester United-Tottenham match. And then after that, I'm just going to hang out here at the house and watch some NFL too, just kind of chill out this weekend because the last couple of weeks uh, for Christmas here in Spain, been doing a lot of eating and drinking. So I'm just going to take it easy this weekend and, uh, of course, watch the Barca game tomorrow at home. So that's pretty much it, just just really kind of relaxing, catching up on some things around the house and Nothing, nothing too exciting this weekend. That's good, you know, because the holidays. Yeah, you do a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, a lot of socializing, and you know, it can be it can be a little bit much. So, it, yeah, I get it. It's it's good to just decompress a little bit after the holidays, have some you time. Exactly. My, my friends, my old roommates, when I used to live in Phoenix, they would always make fun of me that on Sundays, I would always ask for alone time. <laughs> <laughs> They would always go to the movies together and they're like, do you want to go? And I said, no, I'm going to just stay in because it was like my one chance to be alone at the house, you know? And they're like, oh, it's Gabriel's alone, Sunday alone time. And I'm like, yes, leave, you know? And they would always go to the movies together. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I've kind of carried that tradition. Now that I live by myself, I don't have to worry about that as much. but, But I do like to have the occasional Gabriel alone time weekend. Well, yeah, sure. sure. Because you you probably you live so much of your life outside, you know, meeting up with friends, and you're living that that Madrid lifestyle. You still need some alone time, even though you do live alone. Exactly, and on top of that, I just kind I want to watch a little bit of the NFL playoffs, and especially since it is cold. You know, like we talked about, that obviously it's not as cold here as it is in Buffalo. But since you are always walking outside more here, it feels colder than it really is. So I'm just going to stay in where I got heat. I'm just going to watch some NFL football, maybe make some nachos later and just relax. Yeah. Walking outside right now in Buffalo is it's a whole production. You got to really prepare (laughs) if you're going to take a walk any longer than, I don't know, a hundred yards. Yeah. (laughs) I got my hat. I got my gloves. I got my long underwear. I got everything. Okay. I'm going to the coffee shop. (laughs) If I don't come back. (laughs) It reminds me of a Christmas story when the when the youngest one gets wrapped up, right? You got to do the thermos, the the clothes, the the scarf, the whole thing. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and it real it's a real problem for sidewalk traffic because no one can put their arms down. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I like that. Yeah. Starfish is everywhere. Yeah. Well, <laughs> before we get into Barcelona news, I got to talk to uh, our listeners for just a second because, guys, Valentine, or should I say, as Pep Guardiola would say, guys. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, so how about giving your wife or girlfriend something totally different, something romantic, and I'm talking about a luxury gift service called Enclosed that delivers designer lingerie to the special woman in your life month after month. Enclosed is like beer of the month, but instead of beer, she gets ultra high-end lingerie. And we've been checking out the site, and this is seriously high-end stuff, what we at Barca Talk would call primo lingerie. Enclosed was designed specifically to help you guys find gifts for the special women in your lives, and I'm not talking about your mother. Enclosed is all about helping you make her happy, and it's effortless for you. Every month, Enclosed sends your wife or girlfriend a custom-curated lingerie gift selected just for her, and they back up the gift with a 100% size guarantee so you never have to worry about fit. 
Come on and join more than 30,000 couples that love Enclosed, and we'll give you a little gift. Right now, you can get $35 off your Enclosed gift. Just go to EnclosedLingerie.com. That's E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, Lingerie.com, and enter the coupon code VARSATALK at checkout to get $35 off any Enclosed multi-month gift. So that code is VARSATALK, all one word, and don't even try to use the CEDIA, just a normal letter C in Barca, to get $35 off any multi-month gift. Give your wife or girlfriend something that reflects and deepens the connection between the two of you. That's enclosedlingerie.com with the code BARSATALK for $35 off the best gift ever. All right, let's get into some news. You were curating all of the news for this week, and I got to say, you did a bang-up job. So what's our first item today, Gabriel? Well, our first thing is our boy Munier, Seva. He's going to Sevilla. You know, it's official. It happened over the last couple of days, but it is official. Um, you know, like we talked about earlier this week about the transfer possibility of Munir not getting playing time as well. And Sevilla did purchase him. They did uh, pay Barcelona the transfer fee of more than a million euros. So Munir is off to Sevilla. And I think it's a good move for him personally, because I think obviously he's going to get more playing time. And also, I think one of the strategies why he did not renew with Barcelona is because he knew wherever he was going to go, he was able to sign a contract extension with that club. And so I believe when I was watching the news today, he did sign a three or four year contract extension with Sevilla. So Sevilla are really happy to have him because now they have uh, better depth at the forward position and Munir is going to get definitely more playing time now going forward. Yeah. It seems like he's going to get a lot more playing time. If nothing else, you know, he'll, he'll come in to substitute Sevilla is still in the Copa del Rey for sure. And they're still in Europe, I think, right? Yeah, that is correct. So yeah, he's going to have minutes. And it just seems like Machin is, uh, he would he would tend to use Munir more. His, uh, his strategy, his tactics, uh, use a player like Munir more. So I think this is going to be a good move for, for everyone. This is, this is a good situation, right? It's a, it's a win-win. Munir's happy, he's going to be playing more. And Sevilla's a, a fun attacking team at times, so he's going to have a lot of action. Barcelona, you know, they've unloaded a player who try as they might you know they just hasn't he hasn't landed for Barcelona so we're rid of a player that we're not really using we free up some space free up some wage bill it's a it's it's a win-win all around yeah it is a win-win and especially we were able to get something for him you know because um during the last I think the last five days or so um because Munir did not want to renew with Barcelona Valverde basically told him that he was not going to be called up going further so I think it all just came you know all the stars aligned and you know you know my feelings on Munir I just think he's not good enough to be a starter for Barcelona but I think for a team like Sevilla I think it's a good fit for him plus he won't have the pressure of being like a La Masia player that has to perform at a high level I think going to Sevilla where it's a little bit more relaxed you know they they are in these competitions of Copa del Rey and Champions League but it's not the same type of pressure as it is in Barcelona so uh, I think it'll be a good fit for him and we'll see what his goal output is at the end of the season yeah and what did you say that they paid what a million for him yeah they paid a million for his his services see that's funny to me because like to Sevilla a million is it's not a ton of money, but it's, you know, you feel it. Meanwhile, Barcelona, yeah. I feel like they have a, you know, take a million, leave a million tray right at the front of the offices, you know. So. <laughs> I love it. Take a million, give a million. Yeah, whatever, you know, just spread, just spread it around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, especially with a club like Sevilla, especially, you know, they don't have the amount of depth that Barcelona has. So 
this is going to help them with the competitions that they're in. And like I said, Munir is a good player. He just, it's one of those things. He just needs more playing time. You know, we saw what he could do in Alaves. He did have some, some good highlights, some good plays and scored some goals. Uh, but he's just not going to find that playing time in Barcelona. There's just too many superstars ahead of him. Yeah. So we have one outgoing and there's apparently a lot more heat around a potential incoming. So what's the, the next item we have up? Yes, El Mundo came out with this uh, piece that Neymar is desperate to come back. (laughs) And I just think it's funny because, you know, he came here. It was kind of a shady deal when he did come here just with the the payment for his father and the club and how that all went down. And, you know, he was here and obviously he had success. We won the Champions League with him. He was a star player. And I still just can't fathom why he wanted to leave because ultimately he just went for the money. Right, Because basically what's happening here is Neymar and his father have called Barcelona five times a season so far to basically try to see if there's an opportunity for him to come back. And basically their reason for it is that Neymar isn't happy with what they're calling the Proyecto or the sporting direction of PSG. And as we've talked about, Ligue 1 is a lower tier division of Europe. It's, you know, PSG is usually going to win Ligue 1, even though they were eliminated from the, the Cope, like their Copa del Rey, they were eliminated this week, but there's just not enough competition. And I think Neymar really misses the camaraderie that he had with the South American players on Barcelona. Yeah, it seems like PSG, the whole thing of PSG in recent years has been, to essentially spend a whole lot of money because basically PSG is backed by roughly the entire nation of Qatar and all of the money that comes along with it. So they've just been on this project to buy essentially mercenary players to to try and win the Champions League. But they don't I don't think they quite understand the idea of creating a sporting culture, creating a good dressing room and all that sort of stuff. They've gone through different managers. And like you said, Ligue 1 is just, of the top European leagues, it's the bottom. It's the bottom of the top, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like like my friend Connor says, you know, PSG, they're playing oftentimes against clubs that are literally, you know, the players are actual farmers. They, <laughs> they farm during the week and they play football yeah. on the weekends, you know? Yeah. Like, it, that's where Ligue 1 is at. So I'm just wondering, because you were mentioning how they've, Neymar and his father have called Barcelona a number of times. Are we at the point yet where Neymar is going to be is is standing outside of the Camp Nou with the boombox over his <laughs> yeah, head yeah. playing Peter Gabriel? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> In your eyes. <laughs> Are we at that point yet? Is no, it- we're not at that point yet. But it's it's just funny to me because you know. It's not as Barcelona is not a top four team in the world, you know. There really wasn't more he could do. He was going to be the heir apparent to Messi. That was the whole goal. And like we always talk about why Brazilians always thrive usually in Barcelona is because the climate of not only the the actual physical climate of Barcelona, but also the climate in the locker room. It's just more forgiving. It's It feels like Brazil to them, you know, and they feel very comfortable and to me, yeah, obviously Neymar got a huge pay rise, but it wasn't like he was earning nothing before. So, and he also always comes back to Barcelona. There's always pictures of him on social media, on his social media, you know, hanging out with PK and Messi and Suarez and so forth. So I just think, you know, they had a unique partnership. He obviously went to PSG for the money, tried to get some more glory, hopefully to win a Ballon d'Or. And that hasn't happened. And now he's kind of, you know, realizing, especially now that he's, getting older already you know he's realizing that that decision was a bad decision so they're just you know you you never know if you don't ask 
right? Sure, so, sure. I'm going to ask you, do you want him back? See, I was just going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> and I think I was, I was going to wait. I think I wanted you to respond first so that I could condition my response around that. Okay, but, I, I okay can, I'll I go first. Ask. I'll go first. Okay. Um, I, I don't want him back. But I recognize that having him back, would he would probably mature. He would probably... Because maybe... Maybe he's been such a um, little bitch lately because he's just unhappy with where he is and, uh, you know, how the football is going at his club and what it's like in the dressing room. Maybe he's just responding to his environment. And maybe if he were back at Barcelona, it would be a better environment for him and he would be a little bit more endearing to me. Um, Obviously, his ability is great, right? So if I were just looking at his talent and what he could bring to the team, I would absolutely want him back. But of course you got to take into account all of those other factors. So if you give him the benefit of the doubt and say, if we bring him back here, he'll be more comfortable. He'll be happier. If we welcome him with open arms, he will thrive. If we, if we take that stance on it, I could, I could understand bringing him back, but I have to say like right now, I feel like I've been burned and and I, I don't want to get back together with him. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I basically, you know, have the same sentiment because, yes, he's a world class player. But I, you know, now that I'm watching him from afar, you know, watching him outside of the Barca bubble, I don't want him back. I just don't like his style anymore. You know, at the time when he was on the team, obviously. You know, he scored goals, important goals for us. He was an exciting player, but to me, I just. You know, we have, I, for, for me personally, I just have this idea of the people who want to play with Barca are more long-term players. You know, they want to play, they've either gone to the academy or they're just the type of, they're a different type of player, you know, that want to play for Barca. And like you said, I just feel scorned by Neymar, especially just going to PSG. You know, it's just kind of, it's, to me, I just, I just can't get over that decision because, you know, just on playing the Classico. Like, to me, how do you give that up? Playing that two times a year, worldwide views, like the whole importance of that match to go play against Rennes right. or Lyon. Like, you know, it's just like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But again, to each his own, right? And they asked a bunch of people in Barcelona in the past couple of days, would you take him back? And again, if we were looking at strictly financial, I would say no, because obviously he's going to cost way too much. Right? Yeah. That's the thing. And most people are saying, yeah, I'd take him back for if the transfer fee was one euro. But <laughs> that's the only, you know, you know, that's the only sentiment, you know, because everyone knows it's going to, you know, Paris is going to try to rob us back, you know, for, for that, you know, so. Yeah. And there really isn't much uh, love between PSG and Barcelona. It seems to be exactly. a fairly contentious relationship between the two clubs. I mean, I can see him going to Madrid first before he comes to Barcelona again. Oh man. Go to Atletico. That would be interesting. That's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I, know. <laughs> I know. Go to Sevilla. Play with Munir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he, if, you know, obviously with the way Madrid is playing and they have no kind of superstar really in the attacking, I could see them really going after him this summer and especially pairing him up with uh, Vinicius, the new 18-year-old Brazilian guy who I think is not that good. I think he's super overrated, but whatever. <laughs> he does all those He does all those little uh, bicicletas. You know, he's always like doing the over with the step over i'm just like dude everyone's gonna have the book on you in like two months man and anyway well, so i can because I mean, ronaldo used to do that a lot and then he started yeah doing yeah, it yeah less. But he, he like sort of grew 
Yeah, yeah, but he kind of invented it. You know what I'm saying? Like that was back in the day when it first was happening. Mm-hmm. But now the Vinicius guy, this is all he does. And he and the players are just trying to get used to him again because he does it so often. And once they figure that out, he'll, it's, you can only do that move, move so many times. But anyway, right. I can see him going to Madrid. I think he's going to be too expensive for Barcelona. Mm. See, I think, well, I think if Barcelona turns him down, and like you said, they probably will for these uh, financial reasons, I've, I think he should look to England. No way. He would, he would, no way. That's like the polar opposite of like, you know, where he would want to go. I mean, I could see obviously for the notoriety, but just the style of play alone and the pitch, no way. Okay. It just wouldn't suit him at all. I mean, Paris already is a cold enough place for him to play. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I'm just saying, I'm just thinking of uh, English clubs. Yeah. Uh, certain English clubs, Liverpool especially, they they do tend to look to Brazil for some of their talent yeah. and other parts of South America. So maybe he would have more of his you know countrymen around. And the, yeah, the actual climate, like he said, it would it would be very cold and muddy and probably not yeah, to yeah. his liking. Like I said, my gut feeling is that he's going to go to Madrid. Yeah. Like, that's my ultimate. I just think that uh, especially the status of Madrid right now, especially with the, the low attendance that they've been having this year, I think they really need a Galactico again. And I think Perez will definitely try and inquire and see what it costs to bring Neymar. Do you think it's – if he does go to Real – do you think it's better that he went there through PSG to kind of soften that blow of leaving Barcelona for Madrid? Yeah, but at the same time, I don't know. You know, like when Figo did it, it wasn't as though Figo came from La Masia or something, right? I mean, he had some years, but like I, you have a good point. I think it's definitely not going to be as bad, but also just the way football is with free agency and the transfers, there's really kind of no loyalty. So it's not as as serious as it was back in the day when Figo went from Barcelona to Madrid. Yeah, but I feel like so many Barcelona fans still insist on that kind of loyalty. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. But like for me, I wouldn't. special I, in, in that way. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I... I it, it, to me, it just doesn't. It's not as, as serious. I, I think I, I remember when Figo left. That was more of a blow to me because you know Figo was like the World Player of the Year, you know, and he was so important to Barcelona. When he left, it was such a big deal. I, I, I'll you know, like just remember happened that happened. I was like, what? What is he doing? You know? Yeah. So it was, and not, it was first of all just the fact that he was leaving, and then insult to injury, he goes to Real Madrid. Exactly. This is exactly. very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, and it was in that time, too, where we needed him. You know, that's the other thing. It wasn't as though we just had a stable of amazing players. You know, we did have good players, but he was so vital to our success in that in that season. And so, you know, for me, like I, like I said, you know, Neymar played, what, four seasons with us? Yeah. 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 And to me, he didn't come through the academy. He was a mercenary, and he went to PSG, and he went to Madrid. Yeah. You know, it'll just be someone we got to fight against, you know? Yeah, just another guy. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, did you did you hear about uh, the UEFA fans team of the year? It was just announced, I guess, yesterday or day before. No, I I mean, I just saw that there was a bunch of Madrid players on it, of course. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So this was the uh, like a like a best 11 in Europe uh, based on fan voting on UEFA's website. And yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of Real Madrid. But Messi was on it, obviously. But what I want to mention is that Ter Stegen was on it as well. It was his first time on this particular, uh, you know, best 11 thing. Now, Real Madrid was, as you mentioned, more represented on the team, the most represented on this team with four of the 11 from Real. But Ter Stegen, so that means Ter Stegen beat out the likes of De Gea, Courtois, Neuer, 
And so I think the voting shows that there is not a strong Barcelona bias in the voting, and yet Ter Stegen still gets top goalkeeper on this team. So I like that because I think it just means that people are really starting to recognize how good Ter Stegen is. Yeah, I mean, like we say, he's a top four goalkeeper in the world, you know, and I think until he becomes Germany's absolute number one, then I think that's really going to put him over the top because people have still think that Neuer is better than him. And I would take Ter Stegen right now, you know, because of Neuer's age. And until he's the absolute number one, then that'll just come with the credibility. Oh, wow. he's He's been with Barca for so long and he's been doing really well. I mean, we're going to talk about his save of the year, but he's just, you know, for the last three seasons, he just keeps getting better and he keeps stabilizing the defense and becoming, you know, he's going to be a captain of the team pretty soon. So, you know, he's, he's heading that direction. He's still young. He's still part of the play for Barca for like 10 years. So, yeah. <laughs> so and he's, he's been sort of a, like a backup captain on one or two occasions and like, uh, not Copa del Rey, but uh, just, you know, those games where all, yeah. all the young'uns went out, he's he's had the armband on, and it's just a matter of time before he's, you know, one of the set captains at the beginning of the year, for sure. Let me ask you this. So, you know, before when Ter Sagan started with the team, you know, there were some times when he played in the back and you kind of be nervous a couple times, but now you never have that feeling never. anymore, right? It's He's solid with his feet. He makes the right decisions. He makes great saves. Um, you know, he's good in the air. So, again, I remember there was maybe two years ago where there was a couple long ball goals on him where he gave up, you know, mm-hmm. on those goals. And there was a couple times where you felt nervous about his passing and so forth. But now he's rock solid, man. He, there's, like, no doubt that he's the number one for Barca. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, his first year when both he and Bravo came in and Bravo was actually getting more starts than him and he was coming on that was when he would make me the most nervous and and mainly it was when he decided to come out of the box and you know how he was gauging that it seemed like he was making a lot of poor decisions and but then the next year he was still doing that but less and he just kept working and kept working and now he's like you said he's absolutely rock solid he's absolutely our number one and and he's i think number one in the world but like you said you know He's not going to get the full notoriety for that until he's Germany's number one. Yeah, like I said, because with that, that comes, you know, because Germany is always known for great goalkeeping. And so when you become the German number one, like absolute, then that just comes, that'll help with the credibility. And like the other thing, until you hear on ESPN FC that he is the best goalkeeper, then that's really going to put over the top <laughs> for me. <laughs> because they always say the guy from Liverpool and Man City, and I'm I mean, they haven't won anything, you know, like that's part of the thing of being a number one goalkeeper. It's not only do you have the physical tools, but also your career resume. Do you win? Because that you ultimately are helping the team to win. Yeah, exactly. Now, speaking of voting and awards, this leads us straight into the Barca Talk Awards. This is for uh, this season so far, right? So we have a couple of awards that we want to bestow on the Barcelona players. First up, is primo football yeah so we we put this to twitter and our patreon page and basically people were just saying put any goal or primo football play with alba and Messi, and that's it you know (laughs) and and so i kind of i I went digging through the youtube archives and i was looking and i said what's you know not only a great goal but what was kind of an important goal too and a play and i think for me the primo football play was Messi's goal against tottenham in the champions league now you know during this time 
we were not playing as well, you know, um, because we were struggling a little bit. We weren't, um, you know, playing as, as good as we were at the end of the first half of the season, and we were going to Wembley. So there was a lot of concerns how we were going to do. We were still fighting for the Champions League group, and obviously Tottenham was still alive. But I don't know if you remember this goal, Brian, but this goal was just, uh, you know, just a great play because it involves four players. It, of course, Messi starts to play. He's in the center of the park. He finds Alba streaking on the left. Gives it to Alba. Alba obviously makes a move, centers the ball. Then basically Coutinho dummies, then Suarez dummies, and Messi because no one's tracking him through the middle. One times it, and it's not even a shot. It's like a hard guided pass, pass Yuris, and it's just a brilliant goal. And from start to finish, for me, especially for the moment that it was, it just clinched that match as well. That's my Primo Football Award winner. Yes, absolutely. I do remember that goal, and as you were describing it i i felt the uh the goose flesh on my skin pop up because that was indeed the the acme of primo football <laughs> so good selection I mean, yeah. there i mean for me i i love you know we've seen suarez do too many dummies sometimes mm-hmm. but when it works it works brilliantly and, and this, this was play, a double only, dummy it was a double dummy this was dummy and, and dummier yeah and then messi comes in <laughs> And then Messi just comes in like a shark, you know, just does just, just not take any prisoners and slots it past. And it's just a man. It's, you know, you, for example, if I were going to take that opportunity as a goal, I'm going to try to kick the shit out of the ball <laughs> from that, you know, and like and hope that it goes in, you know, but Messi is super professional, calm under pressure and just guides it perfectly where Loris can't get to it. So. Yeah, he knows where he wants to go with it, and he knows how to do it. So next next award was the save of the year. Of course, this goes to Ter Stegen, but what was the specific save? Yeah, I mean, as we just talked about, Ter Stegen is having a great campaign this season so far, and we looked. I looked at the you know some of the nominees and so forth, but the save of the year for me was the double save moment against Sevilla earlier this year in the 61st minute. You know, there was a header that was free. Uh, Ter Stegen was outstretched, makes it like, you know, poster type of save, you know, the type of save that you put on a poster. He's fully outstretched, palms it, puts it away, and there just happens to be a Sevilla attacker, and he takes it, and Ter Stegen just bounces right up, gets big, as you're taught to get big with all your hands and your body, and the uh, attacker from Sevilla tries to kick it through his legs, and he closes it down. And, you know, doesn't allow the goal in that opportunity. So Sevilla had two clean shots and Ter Stegen was able to uh, deny both of those. And for me, that is the save of the year so far. Oh, absolutely. Again, I remember this very clearly, just as you describe it. Save of the year, no doubt. Uh, Hopefully we'll see more. Well, I hope we don't see more saves like that because (laughs) when when he's when he has to be making saves like that, that means we're, we're breaking down a little bit. But the fact that we have him there is super important. Now, newcomer of the year. So it was funny because when we were talking about this award, you know, I told you, oh, it, it's probably going to be Dembele. But then you brought it up that we actually signed him last season. So I just kind of forgot about that. So we had to kind of change our gears. And for me, the newcomer of the year, without a doubt, I mean, without a doubt, is Clement Lalonde. I mean, for me, that has been such a great signing, right? He's young. He wasn't too expensive. Since he's been plugged in because of Umtiti's injury, he's been solid in the back. You saw it uh, against Levante on Thursday. We put him in there. All of a sudden, our defense was completely solid. We didn't have that much pressure. We didn't have these many counters. And Lungled also has a goal this season. And to me, 
he is the future, especially with him and Umtiti. They're going to be a great pairing going forward as long as Umtiti's uh, knee gets resolved. But for me, this signing has been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think he was an, a fantastic signing, and you, he is even kind of a similar uh, center back to PK in in how he reads the game. He is definitely the more cerebral, uh, tallish, uh, slender center back, and I I look forward in time, and I have a vision of the French connection there in the back. Him and Umtiti, you know, Umtiti being the 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 big muscle, the big man, the wall but also who could shut down plays and Longley who kind of like outthinks you. Uh, I think especially the thing about Longley is again, his ability to read the game. We saw on Thursday in Copa del Rey, we'll talk about this more, how, you know, Chumi, he's younger and uh, you know, he wasn't doing so great. He, he wasn't anticipating these plays. He, and that's fine, you know, but cause he's young, but then you put Longley in and everything settles down because he just reads things better. He anticipates the plays better and he can manage those attackers more successfully. So as we see PK go out, we're going to see Longley and Umtiti holding down a really strong central defense. And I have no doubt that eventually Umtiti's knee is going to get sorted out. Maybe not this season. It's going to be a tough season for him as far as coming back or, you know, what's he, what is he doing? But over the long term, I think his knee is going to be fine and we're going to have Longley and Umtiti. So yeah, great newcomer of the year. Yeah. I mean, I would consider Longley like an elegant defender. Ooh, yes. you know, so elegant. He doesn't he doesn't go to ground too often, but when he does, it's the right time. He reads the game well. He passes well. He's good in the air, just like PK. I would say PK is an elegant defender. When I think of him, I don't think of you know like a John Terry kind of brute force type of defender that's really physical. He just knows how to put his body in front and just kind of reads the game because he has an attacking mind, and that gives him an advantage to kind of see the plays develop. And so, you know. That's what you kind of need. You need these type of defenders. And Longley has just, you know, at, at the beginning of the season when he wasn't getting much playing time, I was kind of worried. But obviously, since Umtiti's injury, he's plugged in very nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, uh, <laughs> the Hamfoot play of the year. Of course, uh, this is the award named in honor of Luis Suarez and his Hamfoot. And uh, we we couldn't. Qu- it, it's a hard it's a hard category to give an award for. So we don't have an award for this category. The reason it's hard is because no one keeps stats or commentaries on uh, ham footed plays on bad touches. It's actually my favorite award. I wish we had, we, <laughs> had we been thinking ahead more about this, we could have really note notated as we were watching their games, some, some really good uh, ham footed moments, but you just think back and you know, there were definitely some, but, you can't quite remember when. How about all of September with Luis Suarez? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do think that we should give the award to Suarez this yeah. year, uh, just because he's you know he is the namesake of the award and and he definitely has. We know he's had some ham-footed plays. The other yeah. nominee, of course, came from uh, our listener Zach, who mentioned the uh, Valladolid match where everyone was playing ham-footed because the pitch oh, that's, was that's a disaster. A good one too. That's a good one, too. But, you know, I would say Luis Suarez for September because as he was playing himself into shape, right, he looked a little chunky. (laughs) He wasn't in shape as much. And every time he would try to do the dummy run, it was wrong. When he tried to make a through ball, it was too heavy. And 
and everything was just going wrong for him. I mean, obviously, he's eventually found his form. But, you know, Suarez is kind of one of those guys that doesn't really <laughs> focus that much anymore on preseason training and just kind of uses that first month to get his to get going. And so I would say Luis Suarez, the month of September. Absolutely. So those were the first annual Barca Talk Awards. We'll have another edition next year, and uh, we'll try and keep track of some ham-footed plays more so that we can have better uh, nominees next year for the ham-foot. Now, there's been a major shakeup in the women's team, and now with more on that, here's our Barca women correspondent, Michelle Taylor. The surprising news for Barca Femini last week was the dismissal of Fran Sanchez, now replaced by U.S. Cortez. It wasn't so much his sacking that was the surprise, rather it was the timing. Barca isn't known to be a reactionary club, so for this to happen meant that there was more going on behind the scenes, which indeed there was. Sanchez's appointment to the role in 2017 was one that came out of the blue. A former coach at La Masia until 2012, he left the club to become the technical director of the Bahrain national team and also worked as assistant manager at Maccabee Tel Aviv in Israel. Former women's coach Xabi Arenz, after announcing his retirement, was instrumental in bringing Sanchez back to the club to coach the women's team. A surprise to most, as the expectation was that Argentinian Cristian Toro, who had just resigned as coach of Valencia, would be appointed to the role. At least that's what most of us had hoped would happen. However, in came Fran. As I've mentioned before, the frustration with Sanchez stemmed mostly from his timid approach to games in which Barca was losing or struggling to score. He wasn't quick enough to make tactical changes, and his subs were often untimely and made no sense. Perhaps his best performances were in the Champions League leagues against Olympique Lyon. Away the score was 2-1, and at the mini, Lyon won 0-1. Extremely good results against the powerhouse of women's football, a team which frequently scores over five goals per game but the result was largely based on our defensive approach, particularly in the game at the mini. We offered very little in attack, as the aim appeared to be to contain Lyon, stop them from scoring too many, and hopefully score on a counter-attack. But the result was largely based on our defensive approach, particularly in the game at the mini. We offered very little in attack, as the aim appeared to be to contain Lyon, to stop them from scoring too many, and hopefully score on a counter-attack. Sanchez's management of the players was suspect as well. The lack of rotation, a favoured starting eleven, the freezing out of Olga Garcia and marginalising others such as Marta Unzue and Ruth Garcia didn't go down very well. Olga, now at Atleti and performing very well, was left at a loss to understand. Sanchez wouldn't give her any explanation about why she wasn't being selected and generally shunned her at all times. She is described last season as the worst season of my life at the club of my life extremely shoddy treatment for any player, especially one who had arrived at the club when she was 12 years old and, apart from a two-year stint at Levante, had been a Blaugrana player for 12 years. After losing the Liga again last season, the team won the Copa del Arena and avoided going trophyless. After doubling club investment in the team, reinforcing with strong foreign and Spanish players, as well as promoting three from the La Masia ranks, Barca made it clear to Sanchez that winning the Liga was the priority. And that's all we've heard in every interview that team members have given this season. The Liga is the competition to win. A month ago, the four team captains, Vicky Losada, Marta Torajon, Alexia Poteas and Sandra Panos, met with the women's section director, Maria Teixidor. Among topics discussed was that the Liga was the priority. The team finished the first half of the season one point behind Atleti Madrid. The first game back after Christmas on January the 6th was the derby against Espanyol. 
Not an opposition that we usually worry about, but the game finished in an extremely frustrating nil-all draw, which was like the Valencia result all over again. We had the possession and all the chances, but no success. We even got a penalty, which really should have been judged as an accidental ball to hand, but Vicky's shot hit the post. So we dropped to three points behind Atleti, but the messages coming from Sanchez and the team after the game were still positive and that it was in their hands to win the Liga. Then, out of the blue, came the club announcement that Sanchez had been sacked. The players were on a day off and, according to reports, were very surprised at the decision. They had known that had they lost the game to Atleti early in the season, that Sanchez would probably have been gone then, but they didn't expect his dismissal after the Espanyol game. For the club, it was a drawn game too far, the third draw for the season. The game against Levante was fair enough, but the two nil-all games against Valencia and now Espanyol were unacceptable, and Sanchez paid the price for the team's performance, which wasn't up to scratch. Given that the team is still unbeaten in the Liga this season, the decision to dismiss Sanchez is a real indicator that the club's expectations for the women's team have been set very high. Barca held a press conference on Thursday to introduce U.S. Cortez as the new manager. At the conference, the club's second vice president and former head of La Masia, Jordi Mestre, said this. We have been increasing investment in the women's section because we want to have a championship team. We can't afford another year without winning titles. There has been a qualitative leap in both investment and transfers. The dismissal of Sanchez has not been an impulsive decision, but one that has been escalating in recent weeks. Women's Sporting Director Marcel Zubizarreta added, U.S. Cortez will continue with the women's project according to the plan, but a little change in team dynamics was required. So what about U.S. Cortez? He holds a bachelor's degree in physical activity and sports sciences, as well as one in advertising and public relations. More importantly, he has four years of coaching women's team under his belt as coach of the Catalunya under-12, under-16 and under-18 teams, as well as the senior Catalunya women's team. Cortez was signed to Sanchez's management team last season and came on board as an analyst to study opposing teams, tactics and playing styles. He was appointed to third coach for this season. Now he's El Mister, the boss. At the press conference, his soundbites included ubiquitous club statements such as We will move forward to achieve the ambitious challenges set by the club thanks to the investment made in the team and We want to win every game playing well in the Barca style. More tellingly, he added, I expect all the players to improve their performances and to play better, something that players Alexio Puteas and Mappy Leon have said in recent interviews when they expressed that the team, with all its talent, should be playing better than they are. Only time will tell if those comments were aimed at Fran Sanchez and his tenure as the women's coach. Visca Barca e Forza Barca Femini. That was Michelle Taylor. Follow at Barca Women on Twitter for regular news and updates on the women's team. And now, is Barca B the quarry for the first team it's so famously made out to be, or is it the quarry for other clubs? Our Barca B correspondent, Max Bluer, takes a look at the B team's business in this transfer window. As we find ourselves deep in the January transfer window, now seems like a good time to discuss Barca B's transfer strategy and the radical overhaul it has undergone since last season. In the summer of 2017, Barca B made a number of signings of relatively experienced players, most of whom were in their mid-twenties. Players like Jose Anaiz, Antonio Lozano and Inigo Ruiz de Galareta, while the likes of David Costas and David Concha even arrived on loan from other La Liga clubs. Barca Bay seemed to have turned into a finishing school for other clubs' youngsters. Costas, for example, after having made 38 appearances in Segunda last year for Barca Bay, has gone on to become an important member of Celta Vigo's first-team squad this year. 
Barcelona as a club, and Eric Abidal's predecessor as director of football, Roberto Fernandes, had clearly prioritised maintaining Barca's place in Segunda over the development of La Masia players. And you can see their reasoning for this. After all, the jump to the first team is far easier from Segunda than Segunda División B. At least in Segunda, you are playing against professionals in front of large crowds and in some of the grand old stadiums of Spanish football in Molinón, Riazor or La Romareda. In Segunda B, though, the boys have more often than not been playing in front of one man and his dog against semi-pros in non-existent atmospheres. So buy or loan a few players with a bit more experience and mix them up with innate talent emerging from La Masia and hopefully the squad will be strong enough to stay up, thereby smoothing the transition from juveniles to B-team to first team. The theory might have been sound, but it turned out horribly. Barcebe finished last season in 20th place, four points and two places away from safety, with the final game of the season epitomising everything that had gone wrong. A 2-0 loss to Zaragoza at home in the Miniestadi, when the season's only bright spot, Carlos Elena, tore his hamstring, and a wonder goal was scored by Alex Fabas. A Real Madrid loanee, Barcebe failed to stay up last year, and the policy of signing older, more experienced players did nothing more than block the progress of the youngsters further down the pecking order. Thankfully, the club seems to have learnt from the catastrophe that was the last campaign. Only two signings were made for the B-team last summer. Musa Wage, a 20-year-old right-back who scored at the World Cup for Senegal for about 5 million euros, and Ronald Araujo, a 19-year-old Uruguayan centre-back. While joining them this week was Ignacy Villarasa, who was recalled from loan in order to cover from Milanda at left-back when he's with the first team. Wage and Araujo are additions to a squad, the core of which is made up of youngsters who have been at the club since childhood. Players like Ricky Puig, Miranda and Chumi regularly take part in first-team training sessions and have had minutes with the first team this season. While the change in director of football has undoubtedly been important, the man behind the transformation in Barca's transfer strategy, the pivot towards players brought up in La Masia, is undoubtedly Frances Garcia Pimienta. Pimi, as he's known, has been developing players at La Masia since 2001, and as such knows the place and its players better than anyone. He was promoted in the summer to manage the B team and facilitate the integration into the team of the numerous Juvenil players who had been promoted to play in Segunda B. The number of external signings has dropped dramatically under his tenure. He proudly mentioned in a recent interview with Mundo Deportivo that 80% of his players are from La Masia. Far removed from last season, when the likes of Vitinho or Matias Noel blocked those same players from the team and failed to keep Barcebe up. Pimi also let slip a couple of other interesting points in that interview. For example, his opinion that only four or five of his squad had the potential to make it to the first team. Presumably that includes Miranda, Chumi and Puig, who have all had minutes with the first team, as have Oriol Busquets and Jorge Cuenca while Abba Ruiz, Carlos Perez, Alex Cayo and others have all shown plenty of promise. Yet not everyone is convinced that the transfer strategy has truly changed, and that it will last. One such example is Roberto Navarro, who is imaginatively named his son Robert, and later played a key role in his boys' switch from La Masia to AS Monaco, where he's been recently made his debut for the first team, aged just 16. Navarro Sr. has also been chatting in the media, and in the interview with Sport, he accused Pep Segura, a key decision-maker at La Masia, of not believing in Barca DNA. To be sure, there has been tension between the club and Navarro over the manner of his departure, with Barca accusing the player and his father of making unreasonable financial demands. But at the same time, Navarro Jr. is far from the only bright La Masia prospect to have packed his bag to another club in the expectation of more first-team football. Sergio Gomez at Borussia Dortmund and Jordi Mbula, also at Monaco, spring to mind. Those youngsters clearly had some doubts over how they had progressed through the age groups at Barca and whether they would find their pass to the first team and even the B-team blocked. Seeing as the switch away from outside signings to focus on the younger age groups to find players for Barca Bay is less than a year old, it's too early to break open the champagne bottles and declare the return to the golden age of La Masia. In other, more immediate news, Barca Bay's first match 2019 was a disappointing 1-1 draw with second boss in Castellón that featured a hilarious own goal by Rafa Mujica 
and an even more hilarious fight between a Castellón player and Guillaume Serrano that saw the two of them sent off, though in reality it was nothing more than fisticuffs. The next game will be this weekend at home to Alcoyano before a trip to Echea next Sunday. We should also mention the cup lost to Levante the first team had on Thursday. Miranda and Chumi both started, but did not play well. Chumi in particular failed to cope with Levante's forward line, and was hauled off shortly into the second half, while Miranda was subbed at half-time. Neither trained with the first team the following day, and Valverde failed to defend his two Cantaranos in the post-game press conference, all of which has added fuel to the accusation that he does not know how, or is at least reluctant, to integrate youngsters into the first team. All right, let's talk about the first team, and let's begin with the Copa del Rey. This, of course, happened on Thursday against Levante in the uh, Alfonso Perez in Valencia, and it was a 2-1 loss, which I mostly attribute to the lineup, our lineup. Yeah, um, you know, we talk about this theory, right, about going with the young guns. And so for the lineup, I was I was okay with the lineup, okay? But with with me, I just think the idea of having the defensive four that we had and not have any kind of support formation wise, I think was the wrong way to go. I think, you know, we could have gone into a four, four, two to help a little bit more stability, at least for the first 30 minutes, just to kind of get going. At least you have four midfielders to help track back on defense. But for me, the lineup wasn't too bad. Obviously we're going to dive into the player performances and stuff, but we had, you know, Sillison and goal, uh, I thought Semedo, Murillo, Chumi, and Miranda, I thought that was okay. Vidal as the babysitter, as we talked about. <laughs> Vidal and Busquets, but Vidal was more the Busquets, babysitter. Yeah. Man. Vidal was running all over the park trying to yeah, shut things was. down, put out fires. He was the fireman in this. He was the fireman. So we had Vidal, Alenia, Busquets, you know, and Coutinho, Malcolm, and Dembele. So, you know, for like I said, I wanted to see this. But again, this kind of goes back to the whole thing this season. You know, I think Miranda should have had a spot start earlier in the season so that he's not completely inundated with what's going on in this match. And also with Chumi, too, and obviously with uh, Jason Durillo, I mean Murillo, um, <laughs> he, <laughs> you know, I didn't expect much from him because this was going to be his first match. He wanted to prove that he was worth signing. And again, I just I blame more about the formation, just not being more conservative at the beginning and just letting those defenders find their feet and chemistry and then kind of build up from that yeah well i mean between the two center backs definitely i thought murillo looked good especially yeah, for yeah, his first time out i thought wow yeah. you know he's a good yeah. signing you know it's, a, it's one of those things brian where like when you're playing with this new team right if they don't give up that goal in the first 10 minutes then all of a sudden you kind of build that confidence that you're like okay we we put out that fire we did this okay we, we're we're doing okay we're surviving but once that that first goal came in the first eight minutes, like, oh, God, just hold it together. Just hold it together. And I didn't want any drastic changes either because they have to figure it out. That's, you know, that's part of the plane because once you try to save it, then they just don't get confidence going forward. Yeah, and Valverde, I think, made it pretty clear with not just the starting 11 but the bench too that he, that he was going to ride or die with mostly the young guns. Right, because Messi didn't even come along. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, if for me, if for me, I would only have made two changes to this lineup. I would have not started Busquets because you know people on Twitter were clamoring. You know, obviously with his biggest flop that he did with Sillison, but also, you know, Busquets is, is at an age now where playing on a Thursday night in Valencia, Copa del Rey, like you know, just give him a break. Let put Denny Suarez in there. 
or put Sergio Roberto, put someone else that's younger that's going to help you because you need the legs. And for me, I would have taken Dembele out. I would have used Denis Suarez, for example, because I think with Denis Suarez's situation that he's in right now, he's going to give you more effort than Dembele. Yes, I agree, especially because, you know, he's trying to fight for minutes or he's trying to get a little something on the highlight reel because keep hearing uh, rumors that he might go to Arsenal, see how that develops. But I, yeah, I think you're right. In a game like this, he would have gone after it a lot more. In fact, when he came on and he got that penalty, he he was really turning it on. That was a good dribble that he was right in the middle of. Meanwhile, Dembele, you know, he he didn't quite have the uh, the professionalism to really go after it as much. Yeah, I mean, you brought you know two points that were that I wanted to talk about. So the first one was Dembele. You know, like as a professional coach, not only are you supposed to be really good at tactics and understanding the game, but you're also kind of a psychologist as well. I mean, especially at this professional level, these players making so much money. And to me, like I don't know Dembele personally, but just from afar, I know he's not going to be up for a Copa del Rey match on a Thursday night. He'd rather be playing Fortnite. Oh, yeah. Right? That's the same thing, right? <laughs> so understand those type of things, those tendencies. Like I would like I have here in my notes, I would have used Denny Suarez. I mean, obviously we're playing, you know, we're playing advocate after he did such a great performance in those 10 minutes but i know personally that denny suarez is going well not personally but i know denny suarez is probably going to try a little bit harder because he's fighting for those minutes you know and that that to me was a bad call because you saw dembele's passing was super lazy he did not track back to help Samedo. he was he left coutinho all by himself a bunch of times and when he did have opportunities he didn't shoot the ball Right, <laughs> right. He did. That was driving me crazy, Brian. You know, because yes, he has that move, but at the same time, just shoot the ball. Right. You're playing Levante. You don't. This is not Bayern Munich or something like this. Yeah. Just now going back ball. to the Denny Suarez. Yeah. <laughs> going back to the Denny Suarez thing. Uh, you know, he had a great 10 minute spell there. You know, at first I was kind of making fun of it. I I even tweeted, Denny Suarez, save us, por favor. You know, that's what I said. <laughs> And he made me eat my own words, you know? And so he definitely had some really good movement, especially in that top right. I've never, we've never really seen him in that top right corner as a 4-3-3. And he just looked after it, you know? And it was, I mean, you could definitely see how it just changed the mood of the team because of his movement. We weren't going horizontal so much. We were going a little bit more vertical. Yeah. Now the other note that you had, because you wanted to talk about Coutinho and, uh, and how he didn't look so hot in this match either. Yeah, this, you know, we we talked about this, you know, we want Coutinho to perform, we need him. And I think this was the worst case scenario that could have happened because not only did he look like he didn't belong there, but also he just looked like a player that doesn't have confidence. And most importantly, you know, we needed him to be the top star to lead the team, especially when we're down one, nothing, you know, uh, he lost the ball so many times, Brian, 17 times. It's whenever he was supposed to go left, he was supposed to go right. When he went right, he was supposed to go left. I mean, every play that he did was the wrong move. And, you know, it's very troubling because Valverde has basically said he has to fight harder in training, mm. you know? And last time I checked, there isn't a biometric meter that you can gauge how hard a player's fighting right. for, you know, because that's, it's one of those arbitrary things. He's not fighting hard enough, you know, uh, you know, so this is a little bit troubling because like I said, we need him going forward. We paid so much money for him. He had an amazing world cup campaign and now it's, he's, he's basically a shadow of that person. Yeah. And when we first got him for months, I, he just kept getting better and better and stronger 
And I think it's just the fact that Dembele has been showing up so much more lately that Coutinho's lost some time. And that's okay, but I like you mentioned how, you know, a manager has to be a psychologist as well. And I think that Coutinho's not plugged in right now and Valverde is not interested in trying to get him plugged in. And that's a problem because he we have one, we spent all this money on him. Two, he's an incredible talent, an incredible player. He's, you know, he's not Dembele. He's different, but he has a lot of qualities. So I think it's Val, that Valverde just doesn't have the ideas. I agree. I agree. You know, the thing is Valverde is happy with the lineup that he has, our strongest lineup, because it's getting results. And that's all he really cares about right now. To me, you have to kind of have both because you never know when injury is going to happen and we're going to need Coutinho you know and then when we need Coutinho and he doesn't have good performances it's like well we need him and Valverde is going to be stuck you know in this type of thing you know it's the manager's job especially at a team like Barcelona where there's so many superstar players is to find appropriate playing time have everyone plugged in as you said that's a great word and ready to fight when they're asked to. You know, you have to find a spot for Coutinho, whether he rotates with Artur on the left as a midfielder and just get him acclimated to that. But you need him. We need him because he is a talent. Yeah, and it just makes me... I keep coming back to this with Valverde, which is that I'm basically happy with... I'm happy with his results, of course, and I'm basically happy with his managing, more or less, but I just don't... I think there's something missing with Valverde as a manager at Barcelona, which is that he is, he seems to me like someone who's happy with good enough. He's happy with getting these results. And this is the lineup I'm getting these results with. So I'm going to stick with that lineup. He doesn't have a larger idea or a larger vision. And you go back to, you know, St. Pep, he had a whole program in his mind. He saw the whole thing. He looked at the entire squad and he saw possibility for everyone and everything. And that's what he does. And Valverde is more like, well, that worked. Let's do that again. That's good enough. And that's not good enough at Barcelona. That is a great point because I was just thinking about that, that it's a very Spanish type of attitude to have that you're doing okay. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, it's a very Mediterranean type of attitude. You know, I'm okay. It's cool. We're winning. But like you said, we don't, you know, that's what makes the the managers like Pep, let's say, that have this out-of-the-box thinking of the whole program and how you're going to use players, you know. And like I said, you, you got to think of these different ways because you'd never know when we're going to need Coutinho. Coutinho costs more than 100 million euros. <laughs> like, yeah, it's that's not, not just in a the player. Tray. <laughs> yeah, it's not a player you can just put on the bench. He's not a Munir, you know? Right. Like, come on. <laughs> All right. Now, finally, you had one. Um, you had a couple other notes about this. Uh, let's talk about defensive woes. Yeah. So this is, goes back to, you know, this is kind of my theory about national team playing, too, with, with football, is that, you know, the reason why Spain did so well in the 2010 World Cup, for example, is because you had a lot of players that played club together so they knew how to pass and what to expect i think you kind of have to use that same theory when you use this type of lineup so maybe 
link up the back pairing with people who have some sort of history together so that they can depend on each other. So it's not just completely going into the fire blind, you know? And this kind of rolls into my point with Samato. You know, Samato was brutal in this match, man. I I want more from him. You know, he is a physical specimen. And how many times did he get turned around against Levante? Oh, yeah. It's and, just, and he's it's, capable of more. But like you, you, ha- you have a note here that I totally agree with, which is that he plays down to his competition not only that but as i was watching this match i thought he plays down to his teammates as well that's a good point i mean he is fast he doesn't get pushed over that much but i mean it's it, it was almost his first time playing football on the right back like he didn't know how to turn how to shade the person to the back i was getting i was getting so frustrated with him because you know he is a good player he has a lot of experience playing in big matches. And to me, against Levante, he has to be a leader. He has to be super solid on defense first, and everything else will come from it. I would rather have him be a lockdown defender on that right back than not attack at all. To have that stability, because that will give everyone else more confidence playing defense. But man, it's, it's, it's like one of those things in uh, American football, they teach you to look at the belly button of a player that's coming at you because if he turns left, then that's where the hips are going to go. And that's where you go. And to me, it just looks like he's just looking at the head yeah. the whole time. And so the guy fakes left and he's like, Oh my God. And he falls down. You know? it's, <laughs> it's like, and it's just, it's amateur defending. It's amateur defending. And to me, he is better than that. And like I said, how many times, how many times in his passes, you're just like, what are you thinking? You know, yeah. that's the other thing is his outlet passing is horrible, too. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is like you you hit the nail on the head with the word leader, right? He is a good player and he could he should have been a leader because if you're standing in, in his position, you look down the line to your left. You've got Murillo, brand new signing. You've got Chumi, B team player. And then down on the other end, you got Juan Miranda, another B team player. You have to understand you're the senior member of that line and you have to lead that line. But I just don't think he's um, I don't think he has those leadership qualities. He has he's a great player. And if you and if you put him on a line with someone else who's a leader, he's going to do great. But if he has to be the leadership uh, person, the leadership person, the leader <laughs> on that line, it's uh, it doesn't seem to be really like in his wheelhouse. Yeah, and like I said, you know, he's a physical specimen. There's no reason why he shouldn't play tighter on these guys because a person with the ball dribbling and running is going to be slower than you without the ball. Always. I mean, Messi's the only one that doesn't do that, but <laughs> everyone else, you know, you dribble with the ball, you're going to be slower, and Semedo should be able to be better physically on defense man it's just it's it's such a liability yeah and again this this all comes back to Valverde for me you know just understanding your players and you know managing your players well understanding what their qualities are how they deal with different teammates and different configurations I mean for me like so much comes back to the manager because we have great players we have a lot of great talent and an even better manager would be getting that much more out of these guys, but we're getting good enough. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing, you know, if we were in a four, four, two at the beginning, just more conservative that way, 
dropping Coutinho back even further down just to be a better outlet for for Miranda because how many times did Miranda lose the ball that directly led to a counter, you know, because there was such a great distance between our midfield and the defense, right? So if you just bring Coutinho back and then you have Malcolm and Dembele up there just for the first 30 minutes, just to, for the defense so they can get their bearings and their communication, that's all you have to do. I mean, these are just slight adjustments that you do that would make a huge difference. And then going in halftime, if it's 1-0 or 0-0, then all of a sudden you can start making – tactical adjustments to try to score the goal but you have to understand these type of things again just like you said it's just good enough yeah now for the second leg because we did get that penalty and Coutinho scored on it so good on him we wound up two to one so we got an away goal and Levante is going to be coming to Barcelona for the second leg I know that we agree that in the second leg Valverde should go with not the exact same lineup but the same idea right Keep it with the youngsters. Reserve Copa del Rey for the youngsters. Do you think he's going to actually do that? No. Yeah, I agree because <laughs> I mean, he wants I, to yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have the same lineup and just maybe put Sergio Roberto instead of Semedo back there and then put Denny Suarez instead of Dembele. Yeah, I think, I think that just sounds those, great. You know, those two little changes, I think, would make a big difference. And then because I think Sergio Roberto can lead and knowing that he's the senior person on that line, I think will definitely help. But I think we should give Miranda another chance because he needs to get this this playing time. He did make mistakes, but the only way he's going to get better is to learn. So next game you say, okay, look, you know, the players are faster now. So that 15 yard pass that you did in Barca B is going to get intercepted. It's got to be closer and it's got to be a little bit over it. And Chumi too, you know, I think Chumi and Murillo just develop a little bit more and ride or die. Because to me, you know, if we lose in the Copa del Rey, okay, you know, obviously I'm not going to be the happiest person, but at least we went with the Barca B, the youngsters, and at least they can have something going forward to, to lean on. And finally in La Liga on Sunday, uh, Ibar, Abar came to town and uh, they left a little sad because we won three, nothing. It was, it was the first half was a little rough, but Ultimately, there was a lot of primo football in this match. Yeah, I would say a lot of attempted primo football, right? Because, <laughs> you know, they, you know, they strung a lot of nice passes together, but ultimately they couldn't find the back of the net. But like you said, I would say maybe the first 30 minutes or so, they were just kind of trying to figure out Ibar's high pressing and how to escape it. You know, a lot of La Liga teams try this. And once Barcelona figured out, you know, the Rubik's Cube, they were having a lot of counter and goal chances opportunities. <laughs> Yeah, so what did you think of the the lineup? I mean, the uh, I think the headline on the lineup, of course, is that Coutinho started. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I, I definitely thought Dembele was going to get the start. And, you know, I got to give Valverde credit, you know, trying to get uh, Coutinho some confidence uh, playing with the big boys and to see if he could string it together. And, you know, I, I thought that was kind of a surprise. So how did you think Coutinho looked? Because on Twitter, people were flipping out on how great he looked tonight, but... I have some other thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I thought he looked good. And, you know, as far as uh, his contributions to the goals, I think he was involved in all three of the goals in really clever, inventive ways. Uh, I think he was, you know, he was running hard. He was he was trying and and he had moments of brilliance. He didn't look uh, necessarily mind blowing from beginning to end. But, you know, like he had he had a lot of brilliant moments. He had some average moments he had one or two not so great moments so overall I mean I'd, I'd, I'd give his performance an A just because he was so involved with the goals in such great ways but you know I, I don't think that uh 
that he like was head and shoulders above others. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, on Twitter, people love to really overreact and go over the top with this. I mean, yes, he did look much better than he did Thursday night. Oh, sure. But I just, you know, I think it's a combination of things, obviously playing with Messi and Suarez. Obviously, he has that link-up play down. And also just the midfield was much tighter with the passing. So it helped Coutinho string the attacking much better. You know, at the beginning of the match, he didn't look that great. I didn't think he lost the ball a couple times again, making bad passes. But then ultimately, when they were breaking the pass or the press, excuse me, and they had those counter-up opportunities, Coutinho was making those really nice balls to Suarez. And then obviously that led to some nice primo football attempts. Now, I would like to see, you know, Coutinho and Dembele maybe rotate a little bit. And if that's the way to go, then I'm okay with that because I don't think we're losing anything. I mean, you saw when Dembele came in, Man, he's just, he's, and when he's plugged in, yeah, he is a game changer. You know, oh for sure, yeah, he's uh, he's very he's very fast, <laughs> muy fast, muy muy fast. Well, now, do you have any insight on what Barcelona did to figure out Ibar's press and and how they broke it down? I mean, they just started to go wide. You know, they started to use the wings a little bit more. And also our tour and Sergio Busquets were starting to go through the middle a little bit more. So, you know, it's just patience really more than anything because Ibar was kind of playing sometimes a 4-1-4-1. So you had this, you know, you had to break through that second line of four. And then from there you had some more spacing. And again, it was just stringing the passes and being patient and just kind of working your way up the field. But also just having Coutinho and sometimes Suarez out wide to be the outlet that ultimately is what happened. And they also, I don't know if you remember in the beginning, we were actually attempting some long balls from midfield as well. And that kind of just broke it up as well because then Ibar had to be cognizant of those long balls as well. Right. So even though those long balls didn't necessarily yield a whole lot, they at least got Ibar thinking defensively about how they're going to deal with that. Exactly. There was a couple of plays where Suarez broke free on a long ball and Coutinho did as well. And so that put a lot more pressure on Ibar's defense where they had to be um, you know, more conscious on those long balls. Now, you know, with this high press, you know, with Barcelona's touch and go, it's ultimately going to break three. It's just with patience and just trying to get through there. Yeah. Now, the uh, broadcast I was watching by the end of the match, they had named Suarez as man of the match. And uh, I I have to say I agree with that. And I think you do, too, because uh, he really looked good in this match. You know, we always talk about how underrated Messi is. And I would say tonight, Suarez, sometimes we just take for granted. Tonight, he was a beast. I mean, he played the typical number nine role. He was creating havoc. He looked fresh. He was running around. I mean, he made he had a super hand play at the end of the at the end of the game. <laughs> but for the most part, for the most part, he was very plugged in and he also had two goals as well. So, you know, he's going to be a tough player for us in the future to replace because him and Messi just have a really nice chemistry. They know how to, you know, as we talked about in the awards earlier about the primo football play with the dummy, but also when the back uh, pass that failed with the Messi's goal, but it was just a nice setup. Suarez, for me, yeah, definitely man of the match. Yeah, and you know, that first goal he scored, the 19-minute goal, uh, the whole buildup, I mean, talk about primo football. The whole buildup, starting off at the free kick from Arthur to Longley, back to Arthur, then Coutinho, back to Arthur, and then Busquets, and that's where the pivotal pass comes. Busquets, one touch from Arthur's pass to Coutinho, then it begins, right? Coutinho to Suarez, back to Coutinho, back to Suarez. Suarez gets down there and goal, and it was, I counted it, it was 10 touches amongst all these players in 12 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it was such a nice play. Once they get that break on, 
you know, when we start to get them pedaling backwards, it, we have such an advantage with Messi and Coutinho Suarez driving that attack. And just like you said, it was a really, as soon as Busquets hit that break, you know, it was on. And it was a great finish too from Suarez because the ball was a little bit behind it when he shot the ball. That's why he fell. He always makes everything so dramatic. You know, he's like, <laughs> ah, you know, the, no, but when he fell, it helped him with the angle. He was able to place it really nicely. So a uh, really nice finish. And, and if it wasn't going to go through, Coutinho was there for the follow-up as well. So, you know, I just think, you know, with Coutinho's play, I mean, you saw in this goal with the pass and also the follow-up, you know, obviously just playing with Messi and Suarez, he just feels you know, at home more comfortable, makes him play better. And again, it's up to Valverde when to choose Coutinho and Dembele because I think both players, we need both players and both players can really play well with Messi and Suarez. Oh yeah. And I mean, I imagine playing with Messi and Suarez is helpful to anybody, but especially to someone like, you know, someone of Coutinho's caliber, like he he wants to be playing off of guys with the quick feet and the quick minds of, of those two guys. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where there's like a unspoken communication, you know, where you just know where the player is going to go um, from passing and so forth. So yeah, I mean, Coutinho, you know, definitely had an improved match from Thursday, but like you said, it was the patience of the back passing and then ultimately Busquets breaking that through with a really nice play. And then that obviously we just started with that attack and Ibar was on the back foot. Yeah. And you know, but here's the other side of Coutinho, right? Cause he was really great on that goal, but then he had the chance to make it two nothing near the end of the second half. But then he went down. I thought a little too easily in the box. He was calling for a penalty, you know, like a professional does, but it wasn't, there wasn't anything in it. The, uh, the defender had a hand on his shoulder. He didn't hit his feet at all, you know? So either, Either he dove or he just went down too easily. And I think that if he could have just fought through that little bit of contact, he would have been able to finish it and make it 2 nothing. I mean, this is one of the hardest things to do because, you know, if he dies and gets the call, then great. It's a penalty and it's really easy, right? And we can say, yeah, he should, like, I personally think he should have fought harder for it, right? Like a running back almost, like, just let the defender ride your back even more. And then maybe you get the penalty call. But I think if he would have withheld him a little bit longer, I think he would have been able to get a pass or a shot off. And like you said, for me, it was really weak. It was a dive more than anything for me. And a lot of people on Twitter were complaining about the ref not being in the position to call, but he was there and, and, you know, it was a soft play. So for me, it was not a penalty. Oh no, not at all. And I mean, I watched the replay many, many times and by no measure should that have been a penalty. (laughs) So, yeah, so that, again, that comes back to Coutinho. Yes, he looked a lot better. He was playing with better players. He played in the last game, so he's, you know, he's a little bit more match ready. He hadn't played much prior to that. You know, we had the break and everything. So, you know, he definitely looked better than he did on Thursday, but there were still things like this that came up. So what do you think of, like, this theory, maybe playing Coutinho two games, you know, and have Dembele come for, you know, come in for him or like how he did today where Coutinho drops back to the midfield and then have Dembele start two games and then do the vice versa. It's like just to kind of always have both of them playing often because we're going to need them, both of them. You know, if it's, if we're down one, nothing, Dembele can come in and save us and vice versa. Coutinho can come in and maybe have that one shot uh, where he comes in and scores a goal. So I, I think, you know, if Valverde can find some sort of rotation, because I think that's the only thing we're missing, right, is, you know, we're we're more solid on defense. Our midfield with Artur is much better now. You know, when we have a big game, we have a strongest 11. And I just think going throughout the season, it's just trying to find a nice fit for Coutinho and Dembele to have equal opportunities and good playing time. Yeah, I think it's, 
like you said, that's a good phrase, equal opportunities. I think it's important that both of them get roughly equal opportunities. Uh, of course, Dembele has been preferred lately, and now Coutinho's got a couple of starts, which is nice, but then Dembele came in. So I don't know if I would insist that he systematize it too much, but I do think Valverde should be thinking a lot about balancing out Coutinho's time and Dembele's time and to make sure that they're both you know, feeling used feeling valued and they are actually having the time on the pitch so that when they do come out they're not you know trying to get their bearings too much so that they can both be plugged in as we get into that you know that late tough period of the season especially if we continue in the Copa del Rey where we're in all three competitions and of course we want to make a more concerted effort for the Champions League this year. Yeah, definitely. We need, we need everyone pulling on that rope, you know, because that's ultimately what's going to give us the doblete, hopefully, for the rest of the, or the end of the season. Yeah. Now, the, another great headline out of this match is that Messi scored his 400th goal in La Liga in this match. That's insane. I mean, I, I was speechless, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw I mean, before the match, they were talking about that on my commentating. They said, you know, if Messi scores, he scores his 400th. And I just kind of double take man it's just it's crazy how many goals and you know this goal is like a very typical messy you know as soon as he turned that corner did you have a doubt in your mind that the ball was going in no i didn't (laughs) as soon as i saw that the keeper was out of play i was like that's a typical messy goal he loves that turning that corner on the left and you know he could have used coutinho if he wanted to but messi just finished it and it was just a very messy clinical finish for sure yeah and i mean he's leading the all-time la liga scoring record by 89 goals now and no one who's still active in la liga is even close to him yeah not even by 100 goals right or 200 even maybe i mean it's crazy because i think the, the second one was ronaldo right yeah and yeah so that's who he's leading by 89 goals and now ronaldo's Often, off in Italy. Yeah. Now, what is it like? De Stefano, who's like dead, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like Telmozara, Hugo Sanchez, yeah. Raul, yeah. De Stefano. Yeah. All, all the old guys. Yeah. Yeah. All the, <laughs> yeah. It's insane. I mean, 400 goals. I and, mean, you know, like we say, it's just, it's insane how clinical he is and how consistent he's been ever since he's been a starter, you know, cl- you know, basically scoring more than 30 goals every season the last 10 years and it's just it's insane and you know this goal you know was just he could have had another one too with the as we said the nice really primo football play but he kicked it into the goalkeeper's hands but this one you know with the play he was able to fight out the defender go to the left go around and just find that low right angle corner that he loves and he was able to put it away yeah and then that that third goal so Suarez's second goal off the throw in the throw in quickly taken by my boy, Sergio Roberto. And then so I couldn't even believe it because I could have sworn Suarez was going to put it into the into the box or, you know, put it back. But the pressure was coming in and he just put in this impossible finish. Yeah, I mean, you know, as we talk about with with these Barca players, you know, not only are they technically super sound, but I would say they have a high soccer IQ. And this was a perfect example of that where Sergio Roberto took the opportunity, saw that you know, the Ibar defense was sleeping a little bit. Suarez recognized it, and they just did a quick throw in. And obviously, Suarez took it to the corner. I thought for sure it, hit, it went out of bounds because the commentator that I was watching was surprised. He's like, bueno, what? oh, goal. And then he kind of <laughs> went off on his goal thing. And I was kind of surprised as well because it wasn't, you know, he didn't kick it that hard, but he kicked it hard enough 
where it went right through the goalies, basically where his leg and his arm. So it was a really nice placement. I think also the goalkeeper was surprised by the whole action. You know, I think he was, you know, obviously he was going to try to block it, but I just think the whole uh, reaction of Sergio Roberto throwing that ball so quickly, the goalkeeper was kind of caught off guard a little bit. Yeah. And that's one thing I generally noticed, not just in this play, but they were really, Barcelona was really maintaining a good tempo. They were, it, it looked like, it looked like days of old, you know, no, no dilly dallying on free kicks. Like the first goal came when Arthur was on the ball. He got fouled, got called for a free kick, but he just, you know, stopped the ball with his hand, got it going again. Next thing you know, 12 seconds later, we have a goal. And there was a lot of that, a lot of just keeping the game going, keeping the ball moving, not letting up. So I think that we just had much more pace in in how we were managing the game as well. And I thought that was a really big asset. That's a good observation because, you know, with that kind of tempo, you're just kind of maybe you consider that part of being fresh, you know, having the week off, you know, and that type of thing, you just, you're just more up for it. But like you said, you know, the tempo for the whole game, especially after we scored the first goal, there was a little bit of a malaise maybe for like five minutes, as always, as we, as we love to do, (laughs) we love to invite that. But after that, we were always as, you know, it was the two things we had the lead and we figured out the press and we were just kind of going with that tempo and always trying to do the counter. I mean, we had so many opportunities when it was three on three. And, you know, the I-bar defense, it's so difficult to not only keep a high press, but also when Barcelona has that tempo, it just wears on you by the 60th, 70th minute. And we saw that kind of just open up the scoring opportunities. And especially when you bring in Dembele, it's just like another nightmare, you know? Right, yeah. You know, there was a moment, uh, it was in the second half, I don't know exactly what minute, but there was a moment where... You had the front line, Coutinho, Messi, and Suarez up against essentially five defenders. And it really, for a moment, I really thought they were going to score. And I thought, man, how cool would that be if we, if we could, if these three guys could take out five defenders plus a goalkeeper? Like I was waiting for it and it looked possible. But on the other hand, you know, numbers are numbers. <laughs> it's it's yeah, exactly hard to make bodies, that happen. Right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, if you gave them five opportunities, I bet you they scored two times in training or something against five people. But yeah, yeah like you said, I mean, I, I really wanted to see Coutinho get a goal. I think that would have really helped his confidence even more uh, going forward, you know, because he did play well. But like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the result because especially since Atletico won earlier today, they continue to put pressure on us. And, you know, it's, this type of game that, you know, at the beginning, you know, it was a little bit touch and go, but we were able to not only get the points, but like you said, we had good tempo. We looked fresh and, you know, the second half, we had a lot of scoring opportunities and we just looked like we were actually wanted to play football on a Sunday night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're staying on top of the table at 43 points. Atletico's behind by five. And next up, we've got the return leg against Levante and the Copa del Rey on Thursday. And then Leganes is going to be uh, in La Liga next week. Both will be at the Camp Nou. Now, next week, we're going to do something a little different, uh, a little a little off book, because uh, I will be in San Francisco having my wedding ceremony pretty much at the same time as the Leganes match is happening. And of course, during the weekend, I'll be doing other things preparing for that so we're going to next week cover the levante match so we'll be covering copa del rey we will have uh contributions from michelle taylor so you'll be up to date on barca women we'll cover whatever news we could by let's say thursday or so but we will not have a match review for 
Leganes because I will not be available. So let's get a win against Levante. Let's keep moving forward in the Copa del Rey. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks to Michelle Taylor and Max Bluer this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners, so go to barcetalk.net slash support to see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support. And Visca Barca. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.